John's aims then in this letter, as we've seen, is both against something, it's heresy, and very much for something, which is love, especially love for the brethren. Love for the brethren, again. Tyndale commenting on, on this part of scripture said, here's John singing his old song once again. That's true. John has used different approaches, different arguments in favour of us loving the brethren. But this one today is the pinnacle, if you like, because this one now is with reference to God himself, the very love of God himself. So this is very important, this thing. And, and if today you're thinking, well, we've heard a lot from John about loving the brethren, and okay, we get it, we do love the brethren then I'm very happy for you if you, if, you, if you love the brethren. But please, just take this and store this up for the future. There may come a time when you're presented with some difficulty where you feel a great deal of animosity towards one of the brethren. And so then you need to bring that out and employ these principles. And hopefully you will be able to recall just how important it is in the scriptures. About love, the world, the world talks a lot about love. They, they, they have a version of love in, on the television. It's, a, it's a, a pretty much distorted type of love that we see. But even in the world's music, you can go back half a century and look at the world's music and you will see that almost all of it is about love, about relationships between men and women. So the question has to be, what is true love? What is true love that emanates from God? We're going to look at ten points today. And they're all taken from verses 7 to the end of the chapter. Ten points. All about this true love and identifying it. So the first thing we see is... Uh, in verse 7, we see that the true love, the true love of God, is targeted towards others. True love is towards others. It says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. He, he's saying, Beloved, he's saying, You who I love, love one another. And so, the challenge there is, if God managed to somehow love you, despite the multitude of rebellions that you committed against him, how much more should you love others who've committed far fewer crimes against you than you have against God? Verse 11 as well, we ought also to love one another, it says. Love one another. The second point is that this true love comes from God. True love is from God. And so we see again that in verse 7 still, it tells us love is of God. God is the origin of this love. We're just conduits. And so what we should be doing is realising that 
Uh, as God's love it overflows, and it does, it overflows into the church, into his people. And like a stepped fountain, that love should then come out from us and overflow from us. This is a characteristic of Christian love, is that it is great and it is to all and it is unconditional. And so when we think about the scriptures telling us about the love that, that God has for us, we, we need to be cautious. If in some moments of, of Christian joy you find yourself expressing to others or to God just how much you love him, that is, that is great. But just try and understand also that the only reason you loved him was because he first loved you. And also that your love for him is relatively poor. There's one of the children's hymns, so it's not likely that we would ever find ourselves singing it. But there's a little children's hymn called It Is Most Wonderful to Know. I think that's what it's called. One of the verses says, it is most wonderful to know his love for me so free and sure. How shameful then it is to see my love for him so faint and poor. So faint and poor. So we need to understand that. And I, I said a few weeks ago that I had noticed within, uh, with modern hymns, and I have nothing against a hymn because it's modern, okay? But within the whole modern movement of hymns, there has been, there seems to have been a shift in emphasis away from God's love for this people to a little bit more, to a more about our love for God. And so we just need to be careful. There. We need to be careful because we could end up boasting about how much we love God. We have to give it the emphasis that the Bible gives it and acknowledge that his love for us is far greater. Thirdly then, true love proves that you are born again. Verse 7, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. It proves you are born again. What does this mean? There is a type of love that is pure and is, it is derived from God and this is what makes it different. It's a pure love. This is how John can say, the one who loves belongs to God. Compare two people. One has a heart filled with love for another person and, and carries out some act of charity for them. And then alongside them is a Christian whose heart is also full of love and carries out the exact same act of charity towards another person. Outwardly, those two those two behaviours seem very, very similar, if not identical. But there is a crucial difference. One is the true love from God, and the other one is a distorted type of love, which is not from God. One is done in faith. One is done in sin. So then proper love, proper love proves that you are born again. We also see that this true love is an attribute of God. This true love is an attribute of God. It says in verse 8, God is love. 
And it says the same thing in verse 16. God is love. There's an emphasis there, isn't there? It also says elsewhere that God is spirit, God is peace, God is light. Now, it, it, it may sound like when it says, not that God is a God of love, but God is love. It, it, it seems to be more powerful. And it's certainly there for emphasis. But the, I mean, the Bible nowhere says God is holiness. But the Bible's full of references to his holiness. Did you see the difference? So we're not to think that because it says he is love, that that is more important than, than, is, than say, something like his, his holiness. But certainly it's there, it's there for emphasis, and it tells us something important, which is that this is some attribute of God that is very much part of his nature. He has always been from eternity, spirit and peace and light and love. There are other attributes of God we can say like wrath and mercy. They only make sense in view of God's creation. But his love is something that has been there from all eternity. It is part of his very essence. God is love. The next thing about true love is that this real love moved God to send his son. This love moved God in heaven to send his only son. Not merely to teach or to be an example, but to die. And so we can say with confidence that this was the chief expression of God's love in this world. This is in fact the proof, the proof that God loves us. We said a while back that Jesus' self-sacrifice should spare us on to daily sacrifice ourselves for other believers. And in the same way here, God's love for us should inspire us to love others in a God-like way. I just want to draw your attention to verse 14 where it mentions the Father sent the Son into this world. It says, and we have seen and do testify. Who is this we? Is this, is this Christians or, or someone else? I believe this is the apostles, the apostles themselves. They are one of the witnesses. And if you look at uh, Acts and 5 and verse 32, it says, Acts 5.32 says, We are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost. So is also the Holy Ghost. There seems to be two witnesses here. And this principle of two witnesses goes way back. It goes back to, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, it says in verse 15, one witness shall not rise up against the man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Two witnesses. You might remember back in chapter 2, we looked at that, and you may remember me urging you to have a balance there. 
We've got the word of God, which is essentially uh, the, the well, the, the testimony about Jesus is is a, an apostolic uh, witness. It's the apostles testifying. That's what we find in the word. And alongside that, we have the testimony of the Spirit within us. And you remember, I urged you to keep those two in balance. Not neglect the Spirit and not neglect the Word. And so we have these two witnesses working in conjunction. The next thing about this true love from God is that it is made perfect when we love the brethren. God's love is made perfect when we love the brethren. It says in verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect. But more crucially, in verse 12, it says at the end, His love, that's God's love, is perfected in us. It is the idea that God's love can be perfected in some way that has made many of the commentators quite wary of this, this idea. If in our love and the brethren God's love is made perfect, then it, it absolutely does imply that there was a point before that when God's love was imperfect. And that just doesn't sound right. Can God's love be lacking at all in, as an attribute of his or lacking in its expression? doesn't sound right so now we have to say that this is not a perfection in the quality of God's love at all this is a perfection in its purpose in other words God had a purpose in mind for this for this love of his and while it remained in God it wasn't carrying out that function and when he placed it in the hearts of believers it's still was not doing what it was meant to do. It was only when, it is only when, we love the brethren, that that mission of that type of love is fulfilled. And so it is perfected. It's brought to perfection only when you love the brethren. And then God is truly glorified. And then the cycle is completed. This true love is also something that destroys fear. True love destroys fear. Now I've said to you that when we come to God, there's nothing wrong with, with use, using the word fear. I, I can say to you, you know, go to God and say, Father, I come to you in a joyful fear of you because he is still God. And I don't say fear in that I approach God believing that he will possibly strike me down. I come in fear knowing that if I come to him as a pretender, as a faker, then he, he may well strike me down or he'll certainly do so when my life's brought to an end. There's nothing wrong with us remembering that God is to be feared. But for us it's different, verse 17, it says boldness, boldness, verse 18, no fear, perfect love 
has to have faith. If an individual who professes to know Jesus is fearful of approaching God, and that fear might not feel like fear, it might be an aversion to things like just a, a lack of ease, a, a discomfort with breaking bread, a discomfort with praying with the brethren, things like that. Any time when you're getting closer to God, there might be a there might be a sort of a low-level fear there. And that suggests that that person's profession has a fault, a serious fault. And they need to ask themselves why. Why? It says in verse 17, as Jesus is, so are we. As Jesus is, so are we. We're just like Jesus. What does that mean? It means, friends, and I hope you don't think I'm overstating this, is that when we go to God in prayer, we are just as much accepted by God the Father as he accepts his own son. And why I don't think that's overstating the case is because we have been promised the very righteousness of Christ himself. It is not a lesser righteousness, it is the same righteousness. And so God is able, in some sense, to look at us with the same love and fondness and acceptance as he gives to his own son. There's another aspect to this. It talks about torment in verse 18. Torment. If you are that individual who fears to go to God or fears, you know, fears prayer with other people even or fears these other things, you feel reluctant, you feel like uncomfortable. That in itself is a torment. It is a torment. If you're wondering what this word torment means, it's the same one used in Matthew 25 and verse 46. And it says of the wicked, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, it says. So not only is this believer, this sad individual, fearful of God because they know something's not right in their own soul, there is also the possibility that if they don't get right with God, then they are going to enter a different type of torment. It, it will eat away at them, but forever. And so that's the thing to be avoided. Here's the next one, getting to the end of the chapter. True love, the true love of God, well, it starts with God. It starts with God. I can imagine uh, Jesus listening to his disciples say, well, we've decided to come and follow you, Master. And he says, that's lovely. That's lovely. I'm so glad you've decided to follow me. But he says to them in John's 15th chapter and verse 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You know, it's like he's saying, can we just get this, uh, get this straight now? You know, I'm so pleased that you chose me, but really, I chose you. That's how it really worked. I chose you. You know, the Bible tells us that even, even that the faith that we exercise in the beginning and the repentance, that very first movement we made towards God is itself of God. We can't even say that 
Well, I decided to believe and then God poured out his grace on me and saved me. That's not good enough. You have to acknowledge that the very fact that you repented in the first place was a gift of God. And even then afterwards, if you think that, well, now I can go on and do good things for God, those things are of God as well. The only reason you can do anything good for God is because that he both gives you the desire to do it and the ability to do it. And if you're thinking, well, brother, that leaves us with absolutely nothing of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, you've got it. Yeah. It says here, in verse 12, it says that we love God. So the next one is, the true love must also be towards God. Of course, it's not just towards the brethren, it's about it's about loving God too, of course it is. It says in uh, Joshua 23, verse 11, Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. And in Psalm 31, verse 23, Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. So these are Old Testament references. These are going back thousands of years. It's never changed. We have to love God. We notice that it makes an argument towards the end. It makes an argument that how can you say you love God or hate your brother? It's just about possible for someone to love someone they haven't met. So if you read about you know read a biography of someone, you might start in yourself to, to love that person and want to meet them. That's possible. But really, if you did meet them, you wouldn't be surprised because you expect to see a person and a person is, is who you, you meet. God, on the other hand, is completely invisible. And so how on earth can a natural man love a person who they've not only never seen with their own eyes, but they've never even heard their voice audibly? How can they do that? They can only do that with an outpouring of God's grace. And that overcomes that natural, rational part of us, which says that I can't see him, so he can't be there. It goes further than that. It enables us to love God, to love him, even though he's invisible. And yet, how can we then not do the easier thing of loving the brethren? So we say that we love you, God, even though we can't see you. And you've been given all this grace to, to believe that and to love him. And all that grace doesn't seem to be working when it comes to God's own representatives sitting right next to you. Calvin said it's a false boast that says, I love God, but then I neglect his image in men. Just to finish on, really, we, we could say... In verse 21, it comes down to this. It's, it, this is a commandment. Love for the brethren is a commandment. This is almost an overarching statement. An overarching statement that says, at its most basic, this is a command. Is that what it takes, brethren? Is that what it's going to take? If you do find yourself with any sort of malicious thoughts, any hatreds, against a brother or sister in Christ, 
your starting point is to recognise that God commands you to love them. So your starting point is you do good to the person, you try to do good for them. You start to pray for them intensely, pray for their good. And that's a big obstacle if you can get over that. You're on the right track. And then let it turn into something inward. Foster within yourself a proper expression of love that genuinely wants good for that person. It's a sacrifice yourself and everything that you have in God's service in devotion to the brethren. Remember, friends, the, the three commandments of Jesus we discussed, they are all based on love, all of them. So, let us all love like God, and we should love like God, because God is love.